0: What is happening? Welcome to episode 61 of your favorite podcast, the Grower Eye Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Haley, alongside my co-host, Scott Simmons. Today, we have an awesome guest on yet again. This time it is Sam Miller, and we're going to do an extreme deep dive into physiology, into birth control. How does birth control affect your internal health? What happens when you utilize birth control? How does birth control affect your competition prep components? We're going to talk about it all inside. It is awesome. We go really deep. Be ready. Sit down. Have your notes ready. I took five pages of notes on this. So I challenge you to beat me. Episode 61 of the Grower Diet podcast, brought to you by Revive Supplements, brought to you by Raw Supplements. I'll see you inside. All right, guys, for those of you, you you follow me on Instagram. I hope you follow Sam on Instagram as well. I'm going to plug his handle here in the description um, at the end of this segment. But you follow me on Instagram. You've seen Q&As or maybe you've read about it on Iron Intellects. Birth control, what is going on with birth control? Why is every single fix to a menstrual cycle issue, to an acne issue, to any, to pregnancy prevention issues, why is every single answer birth control? Sam and I are gonna dive into this today and um, to be quite frank with you, Sam asked me a really good question before before we started here. He asked me, how do you approach birth control with your women? And I said, um, or he, he asked, like, do you kind of educate them, but let them know what you prefer or like let them know uh, what would be maybe best for their health and their their performance. That's exactly what I do. And that's what Sam does as well. So Sam Miller is coming on here. One of the smartest fucking dudes uh, that I know. We have some very similar mentors uh, from our past, but Sam is, I mean, honestly, I consider him a hormone expert. Um, so Sam, welcome to the Grower Diet Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on it's a pleasure to have you here
1: thanks man long overdue i know we've been chatting about this since kind of the inception of our intellects and then also grow or die so very grateful to be here and you know it's interesting like hearing someone like you you know label kind of the hormone expert um (laughs) i still feel like it's one of those things where you just like continue to learn and grow and um you know trying to you know slap a label on anything can be difficult at times but definitely hope that This will be informative for the women listening and also like if you're a dude, this is going to be informative for you as well. And especially if you're a male coach, Mm -hmm. you have to understand how to articulate this to your female clients and understand the ramifications and how it's going to show up in training, nutrition and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So really excited to dive in. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, since this is birth birth control, we may be accused of a little bit of mansplaining, (laughs) but I think we're going to do our best to keep it, you know, evidence based and also give um, some practical coaching. Practical coaching experience. Uh, And for those of you listening, like I do have a pretty even split in terms of my history, you know, working with both males and females. Um, So try to, you know, the truth is, is you can learn from each situation and regardless of, you know, their individual physiology, like Mm -hmm. take, you know, take learning experiences from one client and apply it to another. So hopefully everyone listening comes in with kind of an open mind. And even though we're talking about birth control, I think there's going to be a lot of Uh, key nuggets and takeaways that will apply to general understanding of the endocrine system and Mm -hmm. hormones and uh, biofeedback and things that you can take and apply to other applications like HRT or uh, maybe someone dealing with PCOS or like another form of hormone issue. So definitely try to, you know, take the specifics from birth control, but understand the broader application just in quality coaching of what you can do when you have these tools at your disposal,
0: I, I think Sam said a couple items perfectly here. Number one, a more LOL item. look, Sam and I, it is going to be an element of mansplaining. We are not women. We do not experience the side effects of birth control. We have never taken birth control. What Sam and I do do is we get fucking results in people who are on birth control, who are not on birth control. We've assessed out, I mean, I would say cumulative thousands of of uh, panels of blood work done from people on versus off. We've brought back menstrual cycles and women who look like there's no fucking hope. I'm not saying we can fix everything and, and, and anything in front of us, but I feel pretty fucking confident in what we are doing what we are saying I also always 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 when we're talking about anything like this or when we're talking about performance enhancing drugs and we're talking about anything that you know kind of a gray area there's two sides there's my side and Sam and I are on a similar side here and then there's also the other side and you know that's what why does your doctor want you on this what is the purpose of this maybe it is beneficial for your health but i believe it is a Band-Aid. I think Sam believes for most people, it is a Band-Aid. And the second item I want to talk on before we get into Sam's background, men listening to this, or women listening to this, Sam said it perfectly. You're going to learn a lot about the endocrine system today. How he and I learned about this when you can't learn about something through anecdote, you learn through extreme research. You learn through uh, helping people, you know, through these items and you learn through constantly practicing, analyzing and assessing from the experience that you do have. So I think you're going to learn a lot about physiology, about endocrine system. I'm assuming I always come from everything from an extremely pharmacological perspective due to my um, job as a bodybuilding coach and utilizing performance enhancing drugs and clients. So you might learn something from that component, but As we dive into this, just like Sam said, come in with an open mind, take notes, think about what is best for yourself. What do you want? What's the purpose of it, uh, of you utilizing it or not utilizing it? But Sam, tell us a little bit about your background. I'm really disappointed if there's actually someone listening to this who doesn't know who you are, Uh, but fill us in on who exactly Sam Miller is.
1: Thanks, man. So uh, I got into coaching, you know, kind of like I think most guys do just kind of with your general interest in health and fitness, wanted to be a little bit more athletic, uh, be a little bit more aesthetic looking, uh, get a little bit more jacked. And and that journey for me sort of started in high school, but that sort of took a turn for me when I had some health complications that stemmed from a concussion uh, or TBI, traumatic brain injury, and had some uh, pituitary swelling along with just other endocrine issues that came along with that coupled with the fact that, you know, my primary source of nutritional education were resources, you know, magazines and uh, things like, you know, men's health or whatever was was kind of popular at, you know, Barnes and Noble or whatever you'd grab it, you know, at the grocery store at the time. And so for me, kind of some nutritional missteps combined, you know, with my concussion led me to, unfortunately, have to spend a lot of time, um, you know, with doctors and endocrinologists at a very young age, learning about how to control, you know, my own situation through health, fitness and nutrition, and very fortunate. I know you and I, like you mentioned this earlier in terms of mentors. So obviously I want to kind of acknowledge them, but early on in my fitness career, um, both John Meadows and Scott Stevenson, who, if you're in the bodybuilding realm or even the fitness realm in general, um, are two very seasoned vets when it comes to training, nutrition, pharmacology, just really, um, all elements. And so fortunately I met, um, you know, these guys for a little bit later in their career, had a little bit more wisdom and they kind of educated me like, dude, I don't know that you want to necessarily be on these prescriptions that, um, these people are sort of pushing for you. And, you know, I was encouraged to make my own decisions and saw multiple doctors. I got kind of second opinions, even went to like Duke university to get some additional scans and stuff done. I've had MRIs in my brain. So for me, that journey sort of opened up for me, what it would be like to have, uh, either exogenous hormones, or I even, you know, there was one doctor who wanted to put me on like Parkinson's drugs for oh what he thought was a pituitary, uh, prolactinoma. And so, you know, Justin, you're familiar with like Dostinex or Kaber yeah. from the bodybuilding world, which, okay, great. If you're taking like specific performance enhancing drugs, that may be necessary, yeah. but you know, for someone who's just like a younger guy, you know, especially in terms of monitoring the dosage for that, like you're talking about a lifelong dependency on particular drugs that can influence either your hormones or neurotransmitters. And so I really, um, immerse myself in this just to, uh, gather more information for my own health situation. But I noticed that, uh, as, as I mentioned, I had gotten into health and fitness when I was much younger. So my first certification was when I was 17 or 18 years old as a personal trainer, wow. uh, my side hustle all through college. I was personal training at uh, campus rec, like where I went to school, at university. And then from there, uh, basically continued to train and like have folks. And I was noticing more and more issues popping up. And I was like, Hmm, maybe this isn't, you know, reserved to just me. And that's really what exposed me to both the male and female side. Um, and also for anyone listening to this, obviously we're talking about male and female in terms of physiology, like we're not making this political discussion. So if any, like, I don't think your listeners are necessarily going down that rabbit hole, but when we're talking about this, it's mainly just because we have to describe the endocrine system in terms of, okay, are we signaling ovaries here? And like, what's the relationship with communication with the brain? So obviously you want to be like respectful of, you know, anyone who maybe doesn't like self identify in either category, but just kind of throwing that out there that, like, for a physiology perspective. So, for me, my clients, like, in terms of learning about it, working with more males and females, um, I saw multiple cases where it was either adrenal issues or thyroid issues, or I've had women who haven't had cycles for three and a half years, or uh, women who had competed in uh, bodybuilding and didn't necessarily have a cycle for even longer than that, um, as a result of drugs. And there's the birth control side, which obviously we're going to dive into today. So my story is really like my personal sort of pain, uh, and overall experience. And a lot of the time that was seemed like wasted for me ended up paying off in the sense that I'm able to use that education to, um, really try to save my clients from having that same experience and that frustration. Uh, and that's really what led me to becoming more of an educator in the space on metabolism and hormones and nutrition because uh, i feel like it's an area that's there's really we're lacking sort of this middle ground between macros and the medical field Mm -hmm. and so i really try to fill that gap like right in between those
0: and i've been fascinated um sam we met uh man dude we met like was that two years ago? This
1: was about two years. It ago. may have been. Yeah. It might've been the Arnold, like, cause we were supposed to be at the same event, That's speaking right. at the same event for that Arnold. And then the uh, fundraiser for, that is right. Uh, yeah, so. I think it was like a, the animal fundraiser. That was at uh, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Self-made. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Self-made in Columbus.
0: And so I, I um, was introduced to Sam by a really good friend of ours, Jordan Duggar. Um, and ever since, you know, following Sam. So when I was first introduced to Sam is it was another coach. I was like, Oh, okay. You know, another coach, like that's cool. That's um, that's what I do. But the reality is Sam does vastly, vastly, vastly different things from what I do. And I'm fascinated by it because It's so specialized, it's so unique, and it's a space that maybe I'm just missing it, but I just don't really see anyone who's actually executing in this space outside of Sam that I'm really, really, really impressed by. What Sam does, is he takes incredibly broken and damaged individuals. I mean, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but you work with a lot of former competitors. You work with a lot of people who have had um, extreme output. They followed the more eat less output, uh, more uh, method of fitness. Um, People who maybe have eating disorder or former eating disorders that are now cleared. Um, You work with a lot of people who have overexerted themselves to the point of having a uh, extreme metabolic downregulation, um, extremely low thyroid conversion, um, no menstrual cycles, extremely low testosterone, progesterone, estrogen dominance, the people. I, I, coach people to win bodybuilding shows. Sam coaches, former bodybuilders to be fucking healthy and bridges the gap from this extreme to being back into normal life. Would you kind of categorize yourself as like that, that that's essentially your specialty. Talk about what your specialty yeah. is here.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, hearing someone else talk about it is always, uh, kind of eye opening in a way, but you know, for me over time, I definitely just started, you know, I was on the personal training grind. I, I, I definitely spent a lot of Years, um, a lot of blood and sweat, like in a regular gym, kind of four walls of a facility, and just kind of working, you know, that normal grind as a, a trainer, which I know I think you did at LA Fitness as well. Yeah, um, and that sort of set the stage for me. But I did notice, like, you know, whether it was um, women with, you know, birth control issues or cycle loss or people who are overdoing it, even if they weren't necessarily in the bodybuilding side. I've had, you know, uh, bodybuilders, CrossFit athletes, you know, bikini and, you know, in the case of something like bikini, it might be as simple as, you know, a coach gave you a drug that you didn't understand mm-hmm. and you took that drug and it wasn't the drug that you thought it was. And, you know, it had, uh, basically repercussions on your, uh, hormonal axis in your body and it caused, you know, down regulation and negative feedback and and you haven't necessarily recovered because you didn't have a protocol in place to do so. I've certainly worked with cases like that. Um right now I spend a lot of my time educating coaches on how to manage these because I think whether intentionally or not coaches aren't necessarily just sort of marketing this but but people reach out to people in their community or you know people on Instagram that they follow. And they just want someone to help them and help them feel better. And a lot of times they're still applying for coaching because they have aesthetic goals or they just want to like, they still want to be either leaner or be more jacked or do whatever. But what's happening is their body isn't responding the way that it used to. So Mm -hmm. the calorie deficit that used to work or the excessive amounts of exercise that they were doing, um, you know, obviously like if that is not matched from like a training, nutrition or recovery perspective, they're going to end up in in a really bad spot. And so a lot of coaches are getting essentially these people and they don't know what to do with them. And what I noticed over the years, and this was prior to when we met is my roster was progressively becoming what started at 30% and then 50 and then 60 and then 70 and a greater and greater percentages were actually coaches who had these issues. And I was like, wait a minute. Okay. So like they were misinformed because they were following like, the tilapia and asparagus route, and like doing like kind of like the dumb shit that we talked about. Wait, so tilapia um, doesn't thin your skin? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, basically they they finally figured that out, and uh, you know they they wanted to kind of learn for themselves. And I was like, wait a minute. So you're hiring me for nutrition coaching, but you're basically learning my systems. I'm educating you on all this stuff. And so I, you know, a couple couple years ago, actually developed uh, a mentorship for this process. So my ability and bandwidth to take on one on one clients is a bit more limited, but for special cases and for people who are like, really don't have a lot of other places to turn. uh, I do try my best to accommodate and we do have some um, assistant coaches on my team that can sort of support that process as well. Uh, But right now my main focus is, you know, the ripple effect. If I can educate 10 coaches how to do this with 50 clients. That's 500 people. If I do it myself with 50 people, that's only 50 people. So I still try my best to, you know, I had someone reach out the other day with a Dutch test result, literally no progesterone, no estrogen, um, struggling. So it's just very, it's kind of heartbreaking to see. And so for me, I'm like, okay, how do I like scale this level of impact of where I can educate people? And so podcasts like this are amazing because we're able to teach coaches like, Hey, red flag, like this is a major issue. We need to identify this and blood work, biofeedback, initial assessment, and, uh, you know, really draw that attention. But, you know, I, I think you sort of the synopsis was really good. That's definitely where I was in my career, like over the last few years. Um, you know, I'm just trying to not be one of those like fake business coaches that throws (laughs) up a a Photoshop Lambo and is like, Hey, (laughs) you know, join my team. Um, so yeah, that's not my style for sure. But my, my progressive kind of approach over time was like, educate my clients who those clients eventually became coaches themselves on the nutrition side, and then educating them through kind of, you know, my ebook, the hormone blueprint and some other, other products that I kind of try to make very education science-based as well as application based. So you can actually understand what you're doing. Um, I do see some people who are kind of in this middle ground, Justin, but as you said, like the reason I wouldn't say they're doing a great job is they don't actually make it tangible for Mm -hmm. anyone to understand, to actually change their life. Like They throw out these words and they make it overwhelming. And sure, like cool, you could read the research, but can you actually help someone? And so, Mm -hmm. some of the most exciting moments for me, and I mean, I've even seen this in your Instagram stories when your clients like WhatsApp you, and it's like, I got my period back, or you know, I've recovered from this, or like, oh man, I like finally have energy and like my thyroid's doing better. Like those are you know amazing wins, even Mm -hmm. though they're non-stage, like it's a non-stage or non-scale victory. um, It's still a massive win. And so, definitely have a lot of experience and. Kind of track record doing that over the years. And now I'm just trying to figure out kind of like scaling that level of impact to help, you know, other coaches Mm -hmm. feel a little bit less intimidated by this because I see way too many coaches who have really good intent and they want to have a positive impact and influence in the industry, but they're almost like scared to step up and take these individuals on because it is a little daunting at first when you don't understand what's going on. And that's why I think you know, education like this is so important.
0: I agree. And you, you, you made some notes in there about the intimidation factor. So, so, so many people there, man, there's a lot of talent. Um, I believe the coach industry has never been this talented before, but I truly believe that because of the whole talking overheads notion, they, they, they start following these coaches or they start following people who they just talk. They, they, they can't put anything in layman's terms and that's something that avoids appreciate about sam and it's something that i hold you know myself to a constant standard to yeah sam and i if sam and i hopped on a phone call or a facetime talking about this discussion it would go vastly different than how this podcast is going to go we would be very 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 deep i'm not saying that to toot our own horns or make us sound like we're the most intelligent people ever we aren't there's people far more intelligent than both of us but if you're not able that's to lay so them, true. If-
1: it's like you know, we might be smart, but really it's like, (laughs) honestly, I tell people like, if I'm, I think there are people where I'm like 80% of the way there to where, where there are people. But the problem is they only communicate half of what they know. So you're hundred percent. I'm like, okay, you tapped out at 50 because you can't explain half your knowledge. So my 80 seems like exponentially better than what you're actually teaching, even though I'm 20% behind you, which is totally true. Like I'm definitely not the smartest, like I mean, I know my shit, but I definitely don't think like, I'm, I'm like better than other people for that reason. I think it's the articulation and like the ability to actually explain it to people that matters.
0: The communication (laughs) component is just so big. If you're listening to this podcast and you can't fucking understand a thing that we're saying or talking about, then what good is it? Why would Sam and I be on air with Scott right now recording this podcast? It's not worth anything. And so some I've always been so impressed by with Sam is Instagram captions and his podcasts and, and his mentorship program, which I do want you to touch on super quick before we do a deep dive, but Sam is able to fucking talk to you and teach you in a way that you can understand. And I think this is something I I also think Sam, a lot of these people that get really intelligent, they have these fucking egos of like, I want, I want to bury you with my intelligence. I want to make you feel stupid through my intelligence. So I'm going to use these huge fucking words that are directly out of an endocrinology uh, uh, book. And you're not going to be able to understand a goddamn thing. And so that's always been frustrating. Sam does a really good job putting these in perspective. So Sam really, really, really quick. We're going to jump into assessing broken athletes, but for people who are going to listen to the next 40, 50 minutes of this podcast, I want them, they're going to become very drawn to you. I want them to understand what your mentorship programs all offers, because I think you're doing a great thing there. So give us a super quick deep dive into that. And then we're going to get rolling.
1: Yeah, so a couple iterations, like no matter where you're at in your journey, whether you're just starting out and you need something like, oh, cool, I can't afford mentorship, you know, start with something like an ebook. Um, I do have uh, my mentorship program, which we ran three to four iterations of it last year. I'll be opening it up again uh, later this year in 2020. So once this goes live, um, if you guys want more information, just either reach out at Science on Instagram or uh, samlarscience.com is uh you know my website and through there we can basically communicate and figure out which program is going to be the best option for you but typically uh, at least around once a year i like to do a 12-week mentorship program where we'll do um, group calls education um, i obviously kind of educate on concepts like this and so walking people through everything from metabolism men's health women's health thyroid health um, and it was a really successful program last year we worked with over 100 coaches. Uh, In varying capacities, and so really looking to, I kind of like did a little bit of a reboot this year, and with starting the podcast, and you know, as you know, that's a big time commitment. So, Mm -hmm. you know, between the podcast and a few other projects, um, I've sort of been keeping a lot of my clients from last year, but we're going to open it up here soon. So, if you're interested in that, as you know, we can put some stuff in the show notes, but definitely, definitely, you know, either website, Instagram, um, podcast. You know, I always try to share information on kind of the latest and greatest, but. Uh, I like to sort of teach it using models and methods where you guys can take, you know, even if you don't understand the most complicated thing in the world, you could at least dissect it in a way that you can begin to um, basically analogize like or compare it, kind of use something, similar to work your way through the problem. And you may not get it like perfectly right the first time, mm-hmm. but I want you to actually have a toolkit to work from. So, you know, I talk about things like, you know, my shreds, like biofeedback, and that'll lend, you know, really well to like what the initial assessment conversation we're going to have here in a minute. Um, or like the P3 model kind of explaining physiology. Cause a lot of people hear the word physiology and it seems really overwhelming mm-hmm. or they look at a textbook and they're like, Holy shit, this is like you know, but at the end of the day, things that you do with your training and nutrition on a very basic level influence that it's basically, you ever done a training certification, you learn about the said principle. It's like, okay, your body is adapting to what you're doing to it. And whether that's stress, like in a negative sense, or whether your thyroid is having to adapt to something like it's basically, you know, we're taking that and we're using it on a slightly deeper level, dealing with more complex cases. Uh, so whether it's, you know, something like this woman, a woman who has lost her period, Uh, birth control. I talk about Hashimoto's autoimmunity, um, hypothyroidism. We talk about men's health, low testosterone. Uh, I talk about adrenal downregulation or kind of maladaptation, dysregulation, um, kind of debunking some of those, uh, some of the stuff that's out there with that and just providing a little bit more well-rounded education. I, I sort of frame it as beyond your initial certification, like there's not really a lot of great information out there. And it took me like 12 years to learn this stuff. So if I can take 12 years of stuff and give you as much as I can in 12 weeks, then, like, I've done my job and you're gonna be a lot better for it. Uh, and then, you know, that helps me accomplish my mission, which is that ripple effect of like, mm-hmm. you know, let's try to get another 100 or 1,000 coaches who actually understand what these issues are and are, you know, using it with their full client roster like that. That's the goal.
0: And I, I, I want people listening to this podcast because we do talk about physiology often. Every, um, physiology, I, I, guess I categorize myself as a physiologist since I was like my major in my degree and all that stuff. Every physio, and it sounds cooler than a coach. Like, let's be honest. Like, what the fuck's a coach? Yeah. Well, I'm a physiologist, <laughs> but the center of my physiology universe and Sam, if you want to hop in um, and talk about the center of your physiological universe after this to kind of help people understand where we're coming from, then you can. It might be similar to mine. The center of my physiological universe is exactly what Sam just discussed. Stress. Every single thing that we do waking up in the morning, there's a stress effect from that. What happens? Insulin is secreted right away. That's why we can't just wake up, take our fasted blood glucose reading without having any water to fl- flush any of that insulin out of our uh, um. um Bloodstream that we're going to get that that's the only way we can get an accurate reading is if we flush it, insulin out. now the first thing that happens in the morning is a cortisol response and then there's an insulin response that ensues thereafter we wake up we go take a shower and the shower's a little bit hot what happens there's a stress response from that we get out of that shower and we drive to the gym and on the way to the gym we're smashing our pre-workout shake and we're taking some pre-workout and that pre-workout there's stimulants what is that there's a stress response at the physiological level to the stimulants and then we go train there's a stress response to the training session every single item that I do as a coach and how I view everything that comes across my desk is stress first and foremost every single thing you do throughout the day is stress when someone just says oh I'm stressed it commonly means they're very overwhelmed by something but that is not physiological stress even though physiological stress is a byproduct of that that's just uh, kind of acute mental stress I guess is kind of the best way to explain just you're just truly overwhelmed so physiological stress Everything you're doing as I'm talking right now, I always have a pin. Have I, have I told the podcast about this Scott? Mm-hmm. I always have a pin whenever I'm talking and whenever if you guys see me on uh, Instagram, when I'm in a video, I always have a fucking pin in my hand. I'm always uh, it's like my twitch. It's like that's like what I do. It like, keeps fidgeting. me focused. Yeah, I'm <coughs> fidgeting to stay focused. There is a stress response physiologically to me fidgeting with my fucking pin. Everything we do elicits a stress response. What is the best way that we can mitigate that stress response from overflowing. You only get so much. As you train, as you advance in your physique, as you advance in your internal health, your pot of what you're able to handle stress-wise increases greatly, okay? But what you are pouring into it, the volume of stress you are putting into your physiological universe, which is your body, It is also growing as well, and it's a constant mitigation of this. When the stress boils over the pot or is filled too much and starts spilling over, that's when really bad things happen. This is where the term overtraining comes from. This is where uh, um, um, cortisol dominance comes from. This is where cortisol steal comes comes from as well. This is where estrogen dominance comes from. This is where insulin insensit- uh, resistance or insensitivity comes from. This is where poor sleeping pattern come from. All of these items are constantly being responded to everything in your universe. It's all about stress mitigation and stress response. This is why you can't eat very, 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 very little, output very, 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 very high, and expect to be healthy. This is why you can't go through a contest prep and eat in this extreme deficit with this extreme output for 16 straight weeks and have a net positive end result. Even if you win the show, the result is still a net negative. And all of these things have to constantly be assessed and addressed. And if they're not, your pot will boil over. What happens when your pot boils over so much that the whole fucking room fills? Well, This is what I want to, uh, this is exactly what I want to hop into broken athletes, biofeedback, blood work, and initial assessment. When someone comes to you, Sam, no progesterone or extremely low luteinizing hormone or extreme estrogen dominance at the E1, E2, E3, or extremely low testosterone or extreme testosterone dominance, whatever the case is, take us through your just initial process. What do you look for? Um, the way you and I would discuss this might be a little different than how we would discuss with the pod. What are symptoms maybe you look for for items that come to you very consistently or commonly? And just what what's your initial process like here for these people?
1: Yeah, so you know obviously I'll kind of I'll make it a little bit more abbreviated for the podcast, but I have a pretty extensive intake form. Uh, we dive into everything from how something might be influencing you at the level of the gut. Uh, adrenals. I'm looking, you know, just like Justin briefly touched on a cortisol awakening response. Like, I want to know if you have energy in the morning. Are you flatlined? And so, the way I simplify biofeedback and the way I simplify physiology. So, similar to what Justin said, you know, with explaining physiology, I always like to explain most people hire a bodybuilding coach like Justin or a coach like myself because they have a physical goal. I don't care whether it's you want to get stronger, that's a physical goal. You want to look better, you want to compete on stage, those are physical goals, but they're preceded by your physiology. You're not going to accomplish your physical goal, if you're not physiologically optimized or functional, you know, some people aren't even functional. So taking a step back from that, how do we control that? We control that with practices. So that would be your nutritional implementation. So what tools are you using? That could be carb cycling. That could be refeeds. That could be, uh, whatever you love, intermittent fasting, or you think keto is the best thing in the world. Like those are all practices and they will either help you or hurt you. And then perception. So like when Justin was talking about kind of that cumulative level of stress and how we react to things, I would frame, you know, our relationship with community, our relationship with exercise, our relationship with food, those all fall into perceptions. So if you're constantly stressed about something, um, that is going to show up eventually, just in terms of how you're managing that. And that's why, you know, viewing some of the positive elements of stress and understanding how the body adapts can be very empowering. And some people begin to have a better perception in terms of stress, kind of the lens that they view the world. And it actually has a positive um, physical impact simply because they're not like strung out quite so much. Um, and it's not showing up like in terms of their overall diurnal rhythm and like cortisol production, uh, which we can certainly dive into. But when I'm looking, so I, I basically start with those buckets of those peas I'm looking at, okay, what practices are you following? What kind of diet style? What kind of exercise style? What's your volume look like in the gym, your intensity with what you're doing? Um, how many calories you're eating your macro composition, like, what is comprising those macros. So I'm going to ask for a food log, like probably about seven days. Um, and I'm going to want you to like break down like to the level of no, not just your calorie total, but okay. Like, are you making the same food choices all the time? Are you rotating? Like, are you preparing your meals yourself? Uh, we're going to look at, um, on the biofeedback side, I always use sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, and stress. So that's easy way to remember that it spells shreds. Uh, so those are like, you always want to check those indicators because if someone, Um, energy levels completely off, sleep is off, or they're not recovering from the gym. Well, okay, I'm going to think twice about the type of training stimulus that that person needs because they're not recovering from it. We're not getting the level of adaptation that we necessarily want. So just to keep it super simple for the audience, uh, there's definitely an extensive intake process, but basically I'm looking top to bottom. Okay. What's this person like relationship with their life right now? Um, And then their relationship with their training habits, their nutritional habits. And then I'm looking at, okay, like what actually are they doing with the tools like to move towards, you know, the physiology that like we need to create that physiological status in the body. And then I'm going to check up on that every single week when we do check-ins with that process. Um, And, you know, whether you want to use my acronym or whatever you want to come up with yourself, that's fine. But I do suggest keying in on that biofeedback because... You know, so for women, that might be something like uh, I, I oftentimes with these issues, we'll look at something like body temperature, because it can be incredibly indicative of, okay, how are you doing in terms of moving between the follicular phase and luteal phase? Um, and then also in terms of overall thyroid health. And we can also see changes, like if someone's getting sick or something like that. But when I'm, I'm looking at that, I'm starting to look for a pattern, like I want to identify patterns across the month. Um, you know, and then there's the other things like photos or measurements or scale weight, but... Um, I do want to see how someone's truly feeling and the well-being of that individual aside from just like, okay, you weighed 142 pounds and you went to the gym four times last week. Like that's not Mm -hmm. enough for me to make an informed decision. So that's, that's really how I start that whole process. Um, and I think Justin, before we dive into birth control, it might be good to kind of outline like what a healthy cycle looks like and Mm -hmm. explain like, okay, here's why this is so different when you start to throw in exogenous hormones.
0: Yeah. I would love for you to touch on that.
1: Cool. So basically, to break it down for both the ladies and like any guys who are coaching women or women coaching women, uh, you know, in a traditional cycle, and now this will vary person to person, you're going to have your natural rhythm, but it's typically classified into two phases. We have a follicular phase uh, and then a luteal phase. So if you're looking at it kind of mapping wise, um, the follicular phase is like the development of the follicle and pre ovulation. Um, And then after ovulation is typically you know, that result is then what results in the production of progesterone in the back half during the luteal phase. And then you'll have like your menstrual bleeding. And that sort of defines kind of that restart in terms of your your overall period. So when we're talking about uh, cycle health, we're really looking at, okay, there are these phases to it. There's a natural rhythm to it, much like we have a circadian rhythm every day in terms of the relationship with cortisol melatonin. We have that relationship with women um, for estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. And so, you know, as we begin to have this birth control conversation, you know, Justin and I will be talking about what changes are occurring to these reproductive hormones, these sex hormones, and, uh, you know, how birth control sort of influences that and the problematic elements of like where it's showing up in your health, your training, um, and even something, you know, in terms of dietary decisions that need to be made as a result of that pharmaceutical intervention.
0: Mm -hmm. So... A a couple, one one item that I, um, this is an item where I'm not as educated as you on, I believe. And I want you to explain it a little bit more. So I get women who come to me and I, you know, I, I, we go through all of these uh, biofeedback measures. We talk about the cycle. We monitor the temperature. We, at day to day, and what phase of their cycle that the, they're supposed to be in. How's everything looking? How's the blood sugar? How's the heart rate? How's your training output? Uh, commonly, we scale training output back as well. And I do want to touch on that here. And I, I need to make a huge note on that, so I come back to it. So, in the follicular phase, okay when somewhat the follicular phase is hit even when progesterone is extremely low correct sam the issue is switching from follicular to luteal phase when progesterone is not optimal is that correct or is that not correct
1: yeah so for the most part the changes we are seeing and this is why colloquially people will sort of term like estrogen dominance is because um really progesterone a great way to think about it and a great way to think about the luteal phase is one of two things are happening. You've either ovulated and you conceived and progesterone is protective. So a great way to remember progesterone, mm-hmm. progesterone is incredibly important in preventing miscarriages. Mm-hmm. So if you are out there and you are trying to become fertile or you are looking to, um, you know, have a child with your partner, it's important to understand that progesterone is protected. And so that's, what's changing the length of the cycles is typically whether or not you're ovulating. Um, I would I would go as far to say that, like if you're if your estrogen progesterone, and testosterone are off, um, you could say you're still having a follicular phase. I would just call that like monophasic. So you're yeah. not really having follicular luteal. you're just really having like a monophasic, like you're not having really a cycle um, in the sense that there's two two elements to it. and and some of this will depend on the type of birth control and stuff that you're on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that scenario where you're not on birth control, maybe you either come off or you don't have a cycle. Usually, what's happening with stress um is we're seeing negative feedback at the level of the hypothalamus and pituitary that may influence luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone production mm-hmm. where which will influence estrogen progesterone if we're not ovulating um you know big part of progesterone is related to that corpus luteum uh, and everything that sort of happens in the luteal phase in the back half so i think you did a good job of explaining it i would just say like for my level of comfort and like with the audience just to keep it simple for them just view it as if you're healthy you've got two phases if you're kind of unhealthy, whether that's birth control or you've lost your cycle, it maybe looks like you're maybe just in more of one phase the whole time, or you're not really seeing those fluctuations in body temperature. So How oh, I always- would um sort of outline that
0: for them. That makes sense and I want to touch on um progesterone so people who are going to be listening to this they're going to be like so if my progesterone's low what do I do to bring it up? And I want to talk about what I do and and my clients and Sam if you are comfortable sharing some of the items you do in yours yeah. um then then go for it. So what I do and this is going to bring me back to the training note here. This is kind of jumping 10 steps back but then I'm going to bring it back forward. So Sam talks about I'm going to assess how your intensity in the gym is. If you come to me and these items are off, I'm a huge, I'm the biggest proponent there is of taking your sets to failure. This is for an extremely healthy body. This is for someone who is able to go to that place this is someone who's able bodied able bodied does not mean you're able to get to the gym and train hard. Able bodied means that all of your biofeedback measures, all of your blood work measures, everything is perfectly aligned for you to be able to take sets to failure optimally recover and not fuck your circadian rhythm, not really not fuck your circadian rhythm, not fuck your menstrual cycle, not fuck your recovery, not not overfill that entire stress fucking bucket that we have. Because let me tell you, I've had women who come to me. They have these perfectly fine cycles. All of a sudden they start training to failure. They miss the cycle. What happened? The bucket overflowed. Some people cannot go there. What do we do? we scale back training to failure. All of a sudden we're training to two reps uh, left in reserve. All of a sudden the cycle comes right back, just like it just like it was. Because the stress response, the recovery necessities from taking sets to that level in the gym are too extreme. They're too much for, every, for some people to handle. Now, people come to me, like 95% of them are able to take sets there, 95% and, and everything with me, the first item I manipulate when I see stress is accumulating too far is the training component, because that's the most stressful and taxing thing on my team that we do as a training. I never have anyone doing high cardio. I mean the highest cardio I've had any prep client do this year is 42 minutes. So I've never, I, no one's ever doing a ton of cardio and that's 42 times five Sam knows it's not that much. And those other competitors listening to me, like that's a good amount of cardio, but that ain't two motherfucking hours a day. <laughs> and, and so the most stressful thing we do is training. And so, Okay. We see that the stress response overflowed. What do we do? We pull back that training. I have people take a week off the fucking gym. They'll be in the middle of a mesocycle. And we take a week off the gym or they're hitting PRs in the gym and their physique's improving. But the stress, the blood glucose is through the roof, the resting heart rate, 76 and their 130 pound woman. And they can't fucking sleep. Their circadian rhythm is gone, but their physique is improving. Performance is improving. And this is what Sam talked about there. There's not a lot there's a huge gray area between macros and medical. So if we can bridge that gap, Like what we're talking about right now, if we can bridge that gap, we're going to have much better athletes, but also much healthier athletes. And that's where all of this comes into play. We pull back that training. We scale back that training because most people look at this and they're like, well, their physique's getting better. like They're getting stronger. It's like, they must be healthy. Well, there is an element to that. If you are getting stronger and your physique is improving, there is an element of health to that. You cannot be unhealthy and improving unless you're just, you know, overdosing with PEDs. You cannot, these two are simultaneous to an extent i'm not talking about nothing sam and i are talking about is just good enough we're talking about what's optimal what's optimal for performance of a human being's physiology first and foremost okay so coming back around to the progesterone because when you're overstressed what's going to tank progesterone this is why women in prep lose their cycle I would say 90% of the time, because you have to leave room for a gray area, but over 90% of the time, women are losing their cycle from progesterone. If you listen to other people, they might say estrogen, and they're completely fucking off base. Progesterone is why most women are losing their cycle. You get too stressed, it tanks. You're in a contest prep phase. You get too stressed because you're dropping so much body fat. Okay? Your food is lower. Your cardio is higher. You're extremely fucking lean. Progesterone tanks. All of the other fucking yeah. hormones tank
1: too. Your, your estrogen will definitely tank too. I mean, it's going to take it as well. Progesterone is going to go first. And then if you're yep. losing body fat, you have to remember, well, one, you're going to have the estrogen produced naturally by the connection between, you know, um, just in your HPG axis. So between the hypothalamus pituitary and gonads. So in females, obviously ovaries and males, um, that's your testicular axis. But what's also happening is you know, aromatase, that enzyme is very, it's it's more rich and it's more densely concentrated in fat. And so if you are a female that still has some level of body fat, you can produce androgens that whether they're in the adrenals or related to your other reproductive hormone production from the ovaries, you can end up with downstream estrogen as a result, similarly to how men can aromatize uh, testosterone and estrogen, women can still have that as well. So... It's definitely progesterone. So Justin, I'm glad you pointed that out. But mm-hmm. just to make it clear, if you are intensely dieting and you're very, very lean and you are not taking any level of precaution to like, support the, the endogenous production of reproductive hormones, they will both and ultimately be low. And you may even see lowered testosterone as well, just depending mm-hmm. on the situation. Some some women will still have higher testosterone production, whether that's from the adrenals or otherwise. Um, that can happen in, in some... Individual types, uh, but you'll definitely see see both kind of go. And usually it's progesterone, um, usually cortisol's kind of there as well. Thyroid's gonna start to downregulate, mm-hmm. and then estrogen, you know, and we gotta remember that progesterone is kind of multifaceted in a way. It's it's like, as I mentioned, it's protective if you were to conceive, but it's also going to play a very important role in terms of it is sort of naturally anti-androgenic as well. Um, And so when you don't have progesterone, like it does throw off that natural female balance of hormones.
0: And understand sex hormones, like what Sam just discussed, hunger hormones, leptin and ghrelin, namely, those aren't the only two. Those are the main two. Thyroid hormones, T1 through T4, all of them, they all respond directly directly. To your body fat levels as well. Now, there's also a cap on this. There's there's an optimal area, there's a non-optimal area. The optimal area is when you're just honestly at a healthy body fat percentage. If you're extremely obese and overweight, then there's a very negative feedback loop occurring here. If you're extremely lean, shredded, peeled to the fucking bone, there, again, there's a negative feedback loop occurring here. For a very, very extremely like the most layman way that I can possibly put this, androgens come from cholesterol. Cholesterol comes from dietary fat. Dietary fat is stored as body fat. We stop commonly stored as body fat. It can also be stored as intramuscular uh, uh, triglycerides. Commonly, as we drop body fat, this means that we have less cholesterol available. Less cholesterol available means we have less androgens that are able to be made. At that point, your body starts prioritizing shit. So... Sam mentioned testosterone commonly, uh, might hang around a little bit longer. Um, truthfully, uh, so th- uh so yeah, exactly. that, that's, that's what I was kind of going to build upon. We, we have research now that says, uh, this could be true. In my anecdote, uh, there, there's also a difference. This is why there's such gray area. There's also a difference in being fucking lean and like being peeled to the bone. Like when I put my clients on stage and they're natural, there's, uh, I mean, there's no
1: way oh, around. I there's mean, everything's tanked. Yeah, everything's I mean, tanked. Everything's Transient gone. hormone changes. I mean, a great study on this was um, actually. I, I think I don't know if he still coaches, but he used to do some natural prep coaching. But um, there's a guy, Andrew Perdue, did a study on trans, like transient changes in natural bodybuilders, and you'll mm-hmm. you'll definitely see thyroid and testosterone go down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just more so for the ladies. Like your T level, your test levels, without. Performance-enhancing drugs are not crazy high to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, and especially if you have a history of birth control, they're likely going to be low to begin with. So, your your changes that you're noticing, I think, they're more perceptible from the decline in progesterone and the the change of estrogen. Like women to be like naturally like hella anabolic, just is like fairly rare. Like you're going to see lower androgen levels, obviously, compared to males. Um, so, we definitely see that decline in testosterone. I think for women, it's just really important to understand that, like, if you can if you can get your progesterone and estrogen in a pretty good spot, you're cycling normally, um, you're eating, you know, as you should, and your training is on point. Like, your testosterone should fall in line, um, assuming you're you're managing your your stress or your cortisol. Um, that's I think something that's important to mention as well as like the role that these are all integrated. So I'm glad Justin brought up like hunger hormones. Um, you know, obviously, we have our corticosteroids; those those are stemming from the adrenals. Um, but you know, if you have you know issues with the thyroid, it's going to show up uh, in a number of areas that can influence fertility. If you're having um, issues with the reproductive hormones, that's going to play a role in terms of what's going on. Um, you know, even reverse that like kind of going back towards thyroid, and then even insulin and reproductive hormones. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where you see you know even certain cases of like PCOS and stuff like that. So, very important to understand these all kind of like it's really the symphony of hormones. There's like an orchestra and everything's got to be like perfectly tuned. Um, and if it's not like it's going to start to sound a little funky until like you no longer have a performance. And that's really kind of like the best way I could describe like, that hormonal cascade that sort of occurs but totally agree like if you're natural and you're peeled like you're going to have lower (laughs) hormone levels and you're just going to need to recover
0: there's not going to be a lot going on anywhere if you're natural and you're peeled (laughs) let's be honest so i want to touch super 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 quick this is i'm going to give you guys a huge fucking secret huge fucking secret so um i've I've posted this on iron intellects actually um i want to talk about Regaining optimal progesterone, FSH, prolactin, optimal levels to be able to have a healthy menstrual cycle here. And this is assuming post non uh, post hormonal birth control. And then we're going to backtrack slightly and we're going to both give you our thoughts on birth control. And then we're going to give you and then I want Sam to deep dive into because he can go deeper than I can on this, which is why I want him on here specifically talking about this. Sam's going to talk about what happens internally on birth control. So first and foremost, you come off birth control, you give it a month, two months, uh, commonly, I kind of like three weeks, Uh, You get your blood work done and it comes back. Your progesterone is tanked, your FSH, your prolactin. So the first move I make, I start trying to bring this back through less output, more intake. We're going to cut down training. We're not going to train to failure. We're going to cut down cardio if you're doing cardio. And we're going to focus on NEAT. I try to keep it somewhere between like honestly as low as like 4,000 steps a day for some people who are really, really, really fucking tanked. Um, But I like to keep it under 9,000 steps daily. No formal cardio beyond that. I don't care about your body composition because we can very easily manipulate that. That's so easy to do. We're going to pull, we're going to add food. We're going to take you. We're we're definitely going to be carb cycling. And the reason for a definite carb cycle in this situation is because it's not that you're going to have low days. Your low days are going to be maintenance days. You're going to have high days because I'm trying to flex that thyroid output. I'm trying to flex that metabolic output and see how much can I take here? If we start with two high days a week, you have a really good response to it. Fuck. Now we can go to three. What if we have a really good response at three? Now we can go to four. You know what more food means? More food with proper digestion. Asterix there. More food with proper digestion means we are getting healthier internally. This means we are assimilating nutrients. This means the nutrients like cholesterol from dietary fat are being utilized in in, in carbohydrates for thyroid output are being utilized the exact way we want them to be we can keep adding high days adding food adding food keeping output extremely low really good thing and obviously we're not going to let you get fat here okay we're going to keep you in a very very healthy place with body fat and with performance sometimes we can get that this back without any help from any supplements that being said, that is sometimes. Oftentimes, we do not get it back. Oftentimes, I give it a two or three month span, trying to get it back, trying to try just return you to a healthy fucking level. Because there's also a, for me, there's a mental component of, man, I don't want to always rely on something. I don't want to come off birth control. And now I start Chase Berry and Bezwecken. Like, what if we can get it without Chase Berry and Bezwecken? Now, Chase Berry and Bezwecken are both natural remedies. Okay. Bezwecken is essentially progesterone. OK, but Chase best can sort of last resort for me. Chase Berry is something we add in Chase Berry, liposomal uh, from New Ethics. Uh, it's commonly something we add in. We add in one dropper in the morning, one dropper in the evening. You can take this for up to eight months straight. OK, after eight months, you can take a two month hiatus and you can run it for another eight months. What we're going to do is one dropper in the morning, one dropper in the evening. You're going to start seeing if you haven't had a menstrual cycle like Sam and I discussed You know, earlier this week. I got a client who I got three clients, one, three years, one, two and a half years, one, one and a half years. That was their last menstrual cycle. These people went three years, two and a half years, one and a half years, without a fucking cycle. Chase Berry got it back in every single one of them. Chase Berry and optimizing output and, and intake uh, variables here. Chase Berry is fantastic. It is a natural remedy. That optimizes progesterone, follicular, say, follicular uh, stimulating hormone, prolactin, and a host of other internal hormones that are so important for the ovulation process, for the protection of, of this entire process, the entire menstrual A through Z. These uh, Chase Berry is also, you know, pretty uh, from my understanding. I've not done this anecdotally from my understanding. It helps you greatly through a pregnancy as well. That that point you would uh, manipulate the dosage, but one drop per a.m., one drop per p.m. You take it for eight months, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, as long as the other variables are optimized, which I'm not going to tell you how to optimize this right now. Um, There's so much we can give, and it's so individual uh, to the client. As long as those are optimized, you are going to get it back. You are going to get those symptoms back. You run it for eight straight months, come off for two, another eight months. You can run this the rest of your life. You can run this forever with best That's a little bit more individualized, but a very rough overview of it is we're going to take this best dosages vary. So I'm sorry, I can't just give you a dosage here with the best We're going to take it. And when you start your cycle, which best is going to, it, it almost, it's like a jump start. It's like, if you're Car dies, and you bring in another car to help jump start it. That's essentially Bezwecken. All right. Um, commonly, we can get it back without Bezwecken, Bezwecken adding it in. There's nothing wrong with that at all, unless you have had issues previously with progesterone based items. We add this in and it's going to jump start your cycle. When you're on your cycle, you cut Bezwecken off, but you keep Chase Berry in. Chase Berry, if you have really, really, really bad cycles, Chase Berry is going to ease uh, the, the severity, if you will, of your cycle. So that's kind of as far as I'm comfortable going here, because I also don't want people like not hiring someone like Sam and I, and like running with this and just try to do it on their own. Then they fuck it up. Um, but Sam, is there anything you have to kind of add on to that?
1: Yeah, I would just say with, uh, Chase Ferry or Vitex, you want to be, so Justin and I are usually looking at some labs with clients. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, So because Vitex increases progesterone levels through increasing LH, so luteinizing hormone, you have to remember, so in the case of someone who doesn't have a cycle because of, let's say it's PCOS, um, PCOS, you know, guys like Dr. Serrano will base it off of a three-to-one ratio of luteinizing hormone to follicle-stimulating hormone. If you are not um, having an ovulatory cycle, uh, basically meaning you're not ovulating, uh, or you basically you're having PCOS, some form of fashion of it, we would not... Like, for example, with the type, first of all, PCOS is an umbrella term. So for those of you out there, it's not like one set of conditions. It's a bunch of different conditions that are like Rotterdam criteria. There's the NAH criteria. So we need to understand which type is which. If a female does not have a cycle um, and they have, if progesterone, so it's best used, Vitex is best used or Chaseberry is best used. When progesterone is low, LH is normal or low and prolactin is high. Um, if you have a situation where, uh, you have high levels of LH, uh, I, it would not be advisable to incorporate Vitex or Chaseberry because, um, you know, most women who have pe- well, or not, I shouldn't say most women, there are several categories. One of the categories of PCOS, um, is a little bit more insulin resistant and they have high levels of LH already. Um, and so that's just something we want to be mindful of. So if you're a female listening to this, you want to understand uh, where your cycle issues are coming from, as well as your unique hormonal profile, and that's why Justin said, you know, working with someone like Justin or myself, we can look at your labs and say, okay, we see that whether it was birth control or otherwise, something was basically, you know, getting in that that feedback loop. It basically downregulated LH production, which is what was influencing what was going on with progesterone. And in that case, we can plug in something like uh, chase barrier and adaptogen and basically utilize that to help regulate the system. So that's the main thing I would add there is just most cases you're going to be good, but I always like to add that caveat just because that's where, if you're not working with a coach and you start just throwing supplements and stuff and you don't understand <laughs> do not do that. That, that will get you in trouble. So, yeah. um, or if you're a coach and you're coaching other people, it's important to understand the applications. So, um, you know, supplements can be a great, great tool. Um, and the way Justin outlined it was, mm-hmm. uh, his example. I just wanted to make sure I piggybacked on that, that he was using it as a way to facilitate what's going on with LH and progesterone. Um, and also in terms of what's going on with proactive, the, the, most, the one thing, go ahead. Sorry. Go sorry, ahead. finish your with no, 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 you're good. You're good. Um,
0: the most important variable. And I think Sam's going to agree with this. If you want to get your cycle back, if you want progesterone, Feel like stimulating hormone, prolactin, any of these internal testosterone, estrogen. If you want this to bounce back healthily, you have to lower your stress. You cannot worry about your physique progress or the numbers in the gym when you are trying to get healthy internally. And supplements, like everything else, that just is a ca- is a caveat off of we're lowering stress. First and foremost, we have to lower stress. Your body is fucking amazing. Are you kidding? We've been here 15,000 fucking years. Well, we've been here longer than that. We've been in America 15,000 fucking years. We've been in America 15,000 fucking years and we've made it this far your body's amazing. It's going to bounce back. It's just what tools can we get it to bounce back in the most optimal way? Sam, would you agree with the statement that more often than, than not, when birth control is uh, part of the equation that we are, are looking at here, hormonal birth control, we are going to have a tanked progesterone and it's uh, not even just we're going to have tanked hormones, period. Do you agree with that statement or or do you refute that a bit?
1: I'd agree. So in the context of coming off of birth control, yeah. Yeah. Coming off of
0: birth control. Sorry. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. I would say what we see a lot of is, so first of all, I'd say, I'd want to know, is it a combined birth control or is it a progestin only? Um, and understanding that progestin is synthetic progesterone. It's not actually real progesterone. Mm -hmm. Um, I think depending on the type of, um, pharmaceutical, you're on the half-life of that. So for example, progestin like Depo-Provera is going to be suppressive and it's very long acting for a long period of time, like that type of birth control. So to put that in um, bodybuilding terms, that would be like if you had exogenous testosterone and Mm -hmm. instead of like a normal half-life, you're using something that is incredibly long acting um, and sort of has this very, 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 very long period of a drug clearance time. So I would just say it's going to depend on the drug. But more often than not, when women are coming off, we're seeing uh, changes in thyroid, usually, um, you know, changes in estrogen, progesterone. Um, Really, the whole thing's kind of depending on how long you've been on birth control and how good your diet is and managing stress. Really, everything can be kind of out of whack depending on stuff. But usually, uh, progesterone will be suppressed if... So if you're on an oral birth control, uh, what's happening is negative feedback will basically, you know, negative feedback will decrease your LH and FSH. So uh, birth control pills basically will um, reduce that surge of FSH and LH that prevents that estrogen rise in ovulation. um, And then thus like progesterone production from the ovary. So yes, technically they are off, but how it's going to show up in your labs is probably going to be dependent on like the type of hormone you were on previously and how long you've been in that withdrawal period of the pharmaceutical agent.
0: I have a question. Yeah. You guys keep referencing the like labs. Yeah. And earlier Sam mentioned um, some physical responses that you can keep an eye out for. Yeah. Which so it seems like the only the best way to do this is get blood work done. Yeah. To understand all this. How often should you be getting blood work done In general, that's a great question, because I think Sam and I are going to have different answers here. So for my natural clients, understand Sam and I also have different roles here for you guys listening. My role is people, you know, people hire me to, um, you know, do exactly what we're discussing here. But with the intention of wanting to compete again, okay. And I, I think, I mean, Sam, Sam, do you do contest prep at all? I've had
1: bikini, so I've had, um, I've had women come to me who didn't have a cycle, and then we've competed, or they've come out of you know CrossFit, or definitely, I've, I've prepped people before. It's just, it was kind of like where the need was. Um, so I've seen both scenarios. Um, if you're trying to get healthy to be. On, on stage again, my key word there would be you want to build a resilient endocrine mm-hmm. system and you want to have yeah. good stress management practices and become very self-aware. Uh, your post on on Instagram the other day, I believe it was Wednesday. So if this launches on Friday, like two days ago, if you look in Justin's feed, great post on self-awareness around training, whether yeah. it's injuries or whether it's your biofeedback. Um, I think that's especially important for national competitors. Um, so yeah, I've, I've you know done some um, guys through bodybuilding or physique and uh women on the bikini side have so certainly seen it, but it became uh I guess where I was needed. My area of need and expertise was really that like post uh recovery, because there's so mm-hmm. many coaches right now that are just absolutely, absolutely like tanking things for folks. Um unfortunately <laughs> yeah. I've been able, you know, sometimes we've had to use stuff like you know Vitex and sometimes we can get it back naturally. Um, but I, I would say, Justin, we're probably not that different in terms of like the frequency of labs. I would say it's dependent on what meds and like pharmaceutical agents are in your system. Yeah, Um, and that would include whether it's like from a doctor or PEDs, either way, like I still need to know how that's influencing your system. Um, competition goals, overall age, previous health issues, like that's really, what's going to determine the frequency of blood work. Um, if you're just, if something's been prescribed by your doctor, they minimum, like minimally should be drawing labs once every six months. Minimal, and like that's, that's my like, frequency. based on insurance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Minimal. So that's, every And sense. that's if they're good. Now, chances are they may be doing once a year. Yeah. I think once every six, you know, if you have more complex issues, you might be doing the 12 week follow-up. Like yeah. let's say we had a particular action plan in place. Now I might need not need the full panel again. I might go in more targeted the next time and say, all right, I need thyroid. I need, um, know reproductive hormones or maybe we get a dutch test if we're seeing issues like we don't really fully have a full picture yeah Um, we might go in and see okay what's converting what enzyme activity is going on Uh, because a lot of people view estrogen as this one hormone but there's actually several different types of estrogen estradiol being obviously the most common Mm -hmm. um but we have different ones and depending on which one is sort of predominant that plays a large role so justin i think we're pretty similar on the labs i think the only difference really is i think we'd agree it's going to be dependent on your condition. Like, mm-hmm. and also how soon are you competing? Um, if you're not competing and you're a lifestyle client, it's really going to fall into, does your biofeedback indicate to me that there's a problem that's throwing up a red flag that says I need to look under the hood, um, and kind of go, it's, it's like, you know, when you have your vehicle, if everything's working, you're going to follow the regular oil change intervals for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, if something's not working, like you're going to take it in the shop, you're going to look under the hood and see what's going on. Uh, but people, for some reason, don't do, their, do that with their body, but they'll do it with like a hot Civic. <laughs> so, you know, you want to make sure you're looking under the hood uh, and you have an idea of what's going on, especially if you're fatigued, especially if you're having recovery issues. Um, but yeah, I think we're probably like on the same page on on that side. I think it's it's really, I'm sure we would agree it's context dependent, you know, individual health and like your markers are important. And also what are your previous labs look like? If they look like shit, yeah. I'm going to want to follow back because like, if I'm doing my due diligence as a coach, I want those numbers improving. I yeah. want them climbing or I want them in a healthy, you know, in a in more of a functional range, not just what Western medicine says that like fat people should be in a range. to yeah. be healthy, You know,
0: understand the ranges that I need you at and Sam needs you at are vastly different than the ranges okay. that are considered op- normal ranges. Normal is average if you hire Sam and I, you, you, you're not average. You, 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 right. you haven't been average. You haven't done average. You don't want to be average. Um, and so the the last point that Sam made, there's one I want to elaborate on. Well, actually the last two, number one, don't treat your Honda civic better than a Ferrari. We were all birthed as a Ferrari. So fucking treat that Ferrari the way that it needs to be treated. That's not just with your blood work it's with everything across the board. And um, to be honest, with you. I believe that putting birth control in a Ferrari is like putting a governor in it. Like, well, damn, I have this 700 horsepower engine but I can only go 80 miles an hour. um like that's how I feel fucking birth control is for people and and we're about to talk about the internal uh, cascade there, but um if you send me back when we get out of a contest prep, we get blood work done ASAP. It's not going to be super good when we get it done. Like there's going to be a lot of red because of the things we just talked about. But I have to know right away, so many coaches don't want to fucking see the red. I need to see right away because not every contest prep is the same outcome. I'm not scared of red. I'm scared of it staying red too fucking long. Um, And so you come out of a contest prep, we get bad blood work. I need to see it again in two months. In two months, there's... there's not going to be much red and i'm talking about red my my <laughs> definition of red not what's on the paper red um there's not going to be much red that next time okay and so normal people not a prep two times a year if you get me bad blood work or you get me blood work that i say something needs addressed i need to see it again in two months two months cuz me eight fucking weeks to fix something holy shit in eight weeks you get I mean, Jesus, we, we, you know, we, we can, we can do amazing things in eight weeks. Um, but Sam, what's, I want you to talk about, cause like I said, you can go deeper in this than I can. Um, and for of you listening, there's not many people I can fucking say that about. <laughs> so tune into this one, birth control, the internal cascade. I'm not sure where you want to start. I'm not sure how far you want to take it. Um, I want I, I I might want to interject in a place or two to uh, um, talk about bodybuilding specific. Uh, but go ahead. Take this one away. What does birth control do internally? Um, and I'm assuming we're going to focus more on progestin based birth controls because I think those are kind of the most popular. But whichever route you want to take this, I want to hear this spiel.
1: Yeah, we'll start with kind of the umbrella terminology and overall kind of pharmacology. And then from there we can, uh, well, I'll say generalized pharmacology. So the audience is like on the same page. Um, and so all form, all basically all forms of birth control work primarily through something called feedback inhibitions. So by providing synthetic forms of estrogen and, or like a progestin, which is synthetic progesterone birth control basically tells the brain that hormone levels are quote unquote normal. It's causing it to basically reduce its own production of those hormones. Um, So with that, we're going to have reduction or inhibition of the release of luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. So understand that LH and FSH are kind of these precursors. They are triggers to your reproductive hormones. They're basically, you know, to your sex steroids. You need, in a natural body, you need LH and FSH. So if you come from the understanding, if you understand TRT, if you understand PEDs, if you understand super physiological doses of anabolics, you understand that when you take those, you downregulate LH and FSH through that basically feedback inhibition that's going on at the level of the brain. People think about hormones and they put them in these buckets, right? We've got like, okay, here's our bucket of thyroid hormone, here's reproductive hormones. But really what's going on is our brain is connecting with the individual glands and tissues in the body it's seeing what's going on at the level of a receptor and that overall pool of what's in the serum. Um, so what's floating around in our bloodstream, and then it's going to make adjustments. It's basically like our brain is calculating and conducting biofeedback and blood work all the time. Even if you don't go to lab core, you don't go to quest, you don't get your blood draw, whatever, your brain's still going to pick up on it. So with that, it's important to understand that you know, hormones work similarly in the body. So if you take thyroid hormone, the body's going to like downregulate thyroid hormone production. Uh, if someone takes anabolic steroids, the body will reduce its own production of testosterone. So these are natural processes of downregulation that occur as a result of taking basically that term exogenous when we're talking about pharmaceuticals. It just means external to the body. It means I either took a pill, I took a shot, I got an implant, I have mm. a patch, whatever it is you are getting an exogenous source of hormone. It's an external source, whereas your internal production is termed as endogenous production. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the overview. Now with something like uh, progestins, you know, we have several different types Um, in terms of birth control. Usually we're looking at either a combination pill um, or we are looking at progestins. And so the eight different progestins are divided into four different classes uh, or generations, basically dependent on when they were developed. Uh, and then their overall structure, pharmacology, how they behave in the body. Um, and so, progestin, just to simplify it for the audience, progestin is not progesterone. It is a term that sounds very similar, but it is actually synthetic progesterone. So, whereas progesterone can be anti androgenic, progestin in itself can sometimes behave almost like an androgen, but we're not necessarily getting like the good, you know, testosterone benefits of an androgen. It's just sort of doing this dance, and it's a little bit confusing both for the body and just in terms of like us as coaches keeping a handle on this. So the introduction of birth control was primarily synthetic estrogen, um, ethanol estradiol. um, And that contains, you know, we've had various doses of ethanol estradiol and basically the combination pill combines that form that synthetic estradiol with a synthetic progesterone. So progestin, and it is basically putting you in a different, um, cycle state. You're really not truly cycling. And when people say I have a pill bleed, that is not actually like a menstrual cycle. Um, you might be bleeding and you take the sugar pills, but it's not mm-hmm. the same. Um, it's important to note that you know now there are more modern things like you know IUDs may contain hormones. If they contain um, you know hormones, while it is argued that they have a very local effect, most of the studies on this there aren't really any systematic reviews. What we're seeing is it's usually. Um, what we're seeing with the IUDs is that you're still getting a some level or some dose of progestin. Now, they've done a great job of lowering these doses over time and bringing them down to where it's a bit better than some of the older, more harsh forms of birth control. The problem is not all doctors are looking at this from an athletic or an optimization perspective. They're doing Okay, they're familiar. They got their MD in 1985 and they've been practicing for however long and they're buddies with whoever at the pharmaceutical company and you walk in and you say you want birth control and maybe they give you a pill like Yaz or whatever because it's popular. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're necessarily self-selecting. And so when I'm working with female clients, I place a prioritization or level of priority on educating you on, you know, what the birth control does in the body, how it behaves, the different hormones that are there. Um, and understanding that there are many different types of birth control. There are rings and patches and shots and bar, like literally like next one is like a bar that you put in your arm. You've got, um, I think I said pills already, you've got the different IUDs and then you also have the copper IUD, which is not hormonal. Um, but basically most of the like first three generations of progestins are, you know, at least the first one or two were more androgenic causing more side effects, um, And it's still causing that negative inhibition. You might think, well, androgenic is good, right? Well, in the sense of PEDs, it might be, but Mm -hmm. in the sense of birth control, not necessarily. You're not going to be super physiological there. Um, So when we have, you know, we move to more of the fourth generation of progestin, you know, that's um, not derived from testosterone, but more, um, you know, kind of other products. So we've spironolactone, uh, which acts a little bit more like a diuretic and causes the body to lose water. So that progestin behaves, it behaves a little bit more, like a woman's natural progesterone. So natural progesterone is anti-androgenic, um, whereas a lot of these progestins can behave a little bit more androgenic. So you have to understand there's different classes, um, different hormones, like someone who takes estradiol different than progestin. Someone who takes a combination that's different. And IUD is different than an oral contraceptive uh, in many ways. And so... Really, um, the most severe effects that I've seen in clients seem to be from the Depo-Provera shot because it is basically you go and you get a shot once every three months um, and it's a little bit higher dose whereas like even something like an IUD um, or otherwise you're getting like a much more controlled uh, amount of the hormone. And with IUDs, they intended for these to be localized uh, based on placement. And so serving as both a barrier method and providing a much lower dose of hormone uh, but we're still kind of learning more and more about these over time. Um, so we can certainly take it anywhere from there. But I would just say for the audience listening, most important thing to understand: your body has a feedback loop. When you're normally cycling, your brain is communicating with the ovaries to basically conduct this normal cycle. You have an ebb and flow of estrogen and progesterone. When you take a birth control product, you are suppressing. Um, you're basically suppressing estrogen and progesterone. And that means the pill is doing its job because the woman is not likely to become pregnant. It's basically preventing you from conceiving. So even if you have a pill bleed, you're not necessarily having that normal menstrual cycle. So that's kind of number one, first and foremost, the most important stuff to sort of outline. But there are indirect effects of birth control as well. So we can see changes in thyroid binding globulin. You're also, which is basically um, anytime you hear the word binding globulin, it's basically binding agent that will bind a reproductive either reproductive hormones or will bind to uh, thyroid hormones. So TBG is thyroid binding globulin. Um, if you see SHBG, that stands for sex hormone binding globulin, you can pull these on your labs uh, and see what's going on. And so one of the issues with oral birth control is your body will, especially with something like an ethanol estradiol, your liver plays a large role in what's going on there. And as your liver is sort of working its way through these hormones and putting them into action in your body, uh, you will have changes in things like SHBG, which that can actually make the suppression of your reproductive hormones even worse because now, you know, birth control will already tend to lower free testosterone, and now if you're increasing SHBG, well, SHBG can bind the test, which then you know can create even more issues. So that's a problem in itself. Uh, we'll sometimes see depletion of things like B vitamins and minerals, gut dysbiosis. So. The oral birth control is really something that I watch out for, especially the the earlier, um, less novel um, types. Just because one, it involves the liver; two, we get some downstream effects that aren't even like specific to reproductive hormones.
0: I think that was absolutely beautiful.
1: that was absolutely
0: perfect i want to tie in um a couple of items here number one i had no idea that progesterone that progesterone was made from aldosterone
1: that's so it's not so not 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 aldosterone but um well it's not necessarily aldosterone so it's the fourth so there's three generations so basically the first um so i'm gonna give you an example i think i actually took some notes beforehand just to have this so like um norethinadrone was like a first generation progestin that okay. was, you know, had some androgenic effects. Um, you'll see, you know, uh, some of the IUDs might be classified as, you know, second or third, just depending on it. Um, the, it, so it wasn't, um, aldosterone, but it's, uh, Drosspirin, these are all really super interesting spellings, but uh, D-R-O-S-P-I-R-E-N-O-N-E. This is newer. So I haven't actually had a client who has um, been on this particular type, Uh, but it's used sometimes when you have um, women who are having some androgenic side effects or maybe unwanted hair growth, Mm -hmm. Um, they'll they'll provide uh, spironolactone. Uh, which is sort of a little bit of a diuretic compound in a way, oh, but my also bad. I thought, anti-androgen. my
0: bad. I, 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 I remember you said Spiro, not aldosterone,
1: um, which okay. is shocking. Yeah. I just wanted to clear up because yeah. so also with progesterone and progestins, you got to remember, like, is there a chance that it can involve the mineral corticoid receptor, which is responsible for fluid regulation? Mm-hmm. It's possibility because we're not like, you know, I don't know that we have a full comprehensive understanding of of all of these, you have to remember with birth control and a lot of things with pharm- with pharmaceutical drugs in particular, they're looking at safety and they're looking at efficacy of the intended use. So mm-hmm. let's say the goal is we are trying to use a contraceptive to keep women from getting pregnant. Well, if it keeps you from getting pregnant and you basically don't die and don't have any major health issues over a like uh, whatever chronological period that they're using a study, they will likely approve the agent as you know, for use, because it was one, it didn't like, they're not looking at optimal performance. They're not looking at, um, bodybuilding. They're looking at, Hey, these people were able to not conceive. They didn't have babies and they didn't die. And, or there were no like drastic, you know, overly uh, statistical, significant changes. And even if there were side effects, they can put that on the pamphlet. So like when you get any prescription, whether it's like Um, something that you go in and you just have a cold, uh, or you go in and you get a hormone, there's going to be like a leaflet, like basically a a brochure for your medication. It will list all the side effects. Mm -hmm. That's basically them disclosing what's going on. But in most of the studies, they're just identifying those. So whether that's, um, you know, weight gain or acne or anything like that, Mm -hmm. like they'll just disclose it in that like little thing that most people probably don't read. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where we run into, um some issues and I'll have to work on like you know I'll, I'll try to learn a little bit more about that fourth generation um I think that might even be like the Yaz pill but I'll I'll double check um I, really I
0: don't like that Yaz in the depo prefer yeah. I really 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 I I Yeah is
1: tough because it's that 3 months so basically you go in and you get, you get a shot every 3 months super yeah. long acting very suppressive on the endocrine system and I've seen women struggle to get cycles back and have to turn not just to something like Vitex, but like a oral micronized progesterone. And just to clarify for the audience, hormone replacement therapy using bioidentical estradiol and bioidentical or oral micronized progesterone is very, very different than birth control. Yes. So the side effects that we are talking about with birth control are because these are synthetic hormones, um, and dependent on the dose, depending on how it's applied, how you're taking it, for example, Depo-Provera, the shot may be worse for some than an oral birth control or an IUD. Whereas, you know, for others, you know, they, they might have different symptoms, but there are women who are in perimenopause or maybe they competed a lot and they need to turn to something like an HRT. HRT is very different because it is literally having an identical e- efficacy and action in the body and behaving as estrogen would or mm-hmm. as estradiol would um so that's very important ethanol estradiol is not the same thing as your like uh, as your estradiol so
0: hrt is for health hrt truly 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 the essence of it is to truly allow someone to optimize their sex hormones optimize their internal health and commonly we- Commonly because was leave room for that gray area, especially in a conversation like this. That's what makes this conversation so hard for Sam and I to have, too, is like we can't make it black and white. There has to be gray area. But HRT is commonly going to be something that is bioidentical to what is occurring inside of your body already. That is easily up. It's very bioavailable. It's easy to uptake. The side effects are much more manageable. So I'm glad that Sam made that note because I wouldn't
1: have thought and there. application, right? So and like I may not take so most most HRT for women, you know, you can get compounded creams, you can get the oral micronized progesterone. It's not necessarily making the same pass at the liver as a ethanol estradiol would when yeah. you are consuming that estrogen in the form of birth control and the liver has to do its thing we are putting sort of different influences and stressors on the body. As Justin even mentioned, dating back to like the very beginning of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to understand like it's not localized to one particular area. And, and I've even seen women because of the oral birth control see changes in their lipids, which is, you know, makes sense because in addition, you know, Justin, you mentioned getting exogenous cholesterol from food. Well, our body actually produces cholesterol as well mm-hmm. from the liver. So we need to be mindful of liver health when we're considering, um, something like this. And while it's not necessarily the same as like super physiological dose of anabolic steroids, it is definitely still worth mentioning oh, that, like, you know, optimizing liver, liver health post cycle, or uh, excuse me, not uh, post cycle, post post birth control cycle, uh, they're really not that different. So we, you know, I, I know there's birth controls getting more attention, people writing, writing books, like, uh, you wouldn't necessarily see the same thing when it came to, you know, certain PEDs or certain products, but you have to understand that, like, Basically trying to rebound your endocrine system and recover after a period of being on birth control really is not like, it's different because you have different hormones involved and there's a cycle involved, but it's sort of analogous to if you had someone who was on testosterone for a long period of time and decided to come off of that as a male, they would need to jumpstart their HPTA axis. Mm -hmm. So for the guys listening, the coaches listening, use that analogy, use that parallel to help enhance your understanding of female physiology rather than being intimidated by it. Like mm-hmm. if you can figure out, what's going on with, with one, like you can sort of scale your knowledge to be able to jump and like begin to acquire more in this other category.
0: And I hope that the males listening to this are, are able to draw to tie together how this applies to well, number one, their clients, uh, but number two, like their own endocrine system as well. This is all very, 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 very important to know because everything outside the birth control, the menstrual cycle um, effect of this is... The exact same in 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 men, just without ovaries, birth control, menstrual cycle, um, and so this is very 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 important. The last note that I want to make here, because Sam and I have touched on a lot here. You should honestly, I have four, I have five pages of notes here, and you should probably have more. The last item I want to touch on: How does this uh, pertain to me as a competitor? I'm glad you asked. Uh, birth control with prep. When Sam was discussing the internal um, overview of what happens here, he broke it all down. Number one, birth control with uh, birth control in your body. When you are in a dieting phase, you already are down regulating your sex hormones. If you are on a birth control that includes estradiol. You are making yourself estrogen dominant. Why? Because you're synthetically replacing the estrogen. Or what your body perceives to be estrogen or is able to slash is able to utilize this estrogen, but your testosterone's fucking tanked. You know what happens when this happens? It's really fucking hard to lose body fat. It's really fucking hard to keep nitrogen, internal nitrogen levels high, which we know high uh, or optimal nitrogen levels are imperative for keeping muscle tissue around during a prep. It's going to make you feel fatigued. It's going to make you, it's going to delay your recovery, your growth hormone, your thyroid uh, conversions, your thyroid hormone. They all respond to this. You essentially can turn yourself into and uh, you will turn yourself into an estrogen dominant state at some point during contest preps. If you are on a birth control that contains estradiol. So we're prepping, we're prepping, we're prepping, we're getting after we're getting really, really, really lean hormones are downregulated, but sex hormone-binding globulin can increase. Sex hormone-binding globulin is increasing. We already have extreme low testosterone. Sex hormone-binding globulin goes and grabs testosterone or in the thyroid, it goes and grabs active thyroid hormone that we need. We need to use this, Not, not just for to winning a show, not just for performance or, 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 you know, any of those items. We need this for fucking yeah. health and bodybuilding competition is already not a very healthy thing. Adding birth control on top of that, you are sending yourself into a cast and hormonal cascade that. Holy fuck. At this point, even Sam and I, e- even the people that we are talking about are more educated than Sam and I in this. Even we're all fucking stumped as to what's exactly happening because it's all just a hypothesis at that point. And we're trying to get into a, a contest shape. Well, what's going to fucking happen? I can tell you what's going to happen here. Your cortisol is going to increase greatly. We have this thing called a cortisol steal. And this happens really commonly in a stressed body. Of course, it goes hand in hand with stress. Cholesterol goes through many different phases before it ends up as testosterone or estrogen. But a phase that's far beyond this about two steps before two two steps before testosterone is it can be converted to cortisol as we get very stressed in the physique As we are becoming more estrogen dominant, because your body senses estrogen is the last place after testosterone that that cholesterol ends. Your body senses estrogen increasing. Your body knows it it understands that testosterone is low, but estrogen, which is beyond testosterone, is high. So we're just going to kind of neglect that. And now we have all this freed up for a very stressed physique to have a cortisol steal. Cortisol seal takes more cholesterol. Um, I, I am completely blanking on the hormone that is in between cortisol and cholesterol.
1: Pregnant alone. What well, is it? Oh, so between you're saying cortisol and cholesterol? Yeah, so between you cortisol and cholesterol.
0: Alone. Um pregnant alone. Pregnant alone.
1: Yeah, pregnant alone. Pregnant so alone. I do gotta jump in just because this is yeah. something that I recently used, so not recently, but a couple years ago, this is exactly how I used to teach it. And yeah. I've actually I've learned that because adrenals basically, so we can, we can produce, uh, testosterone, uh, well in women, we can get a small level of production from the adrenals. Mm. Um, we can essentially, uh, you know, produce things. Progesterone is primarily from the corpus luteum, Mm. um, after we have, uh, basically, you know, ovulation. And so if, you know, the synthetic birth control is suppressing LH, um, you know, and we're suppressing kind of that endogenous estrogen production, we're going to end up with issues of ovulation. So the reason I'm sort of stopping you. So I used to use this all the time to simplify this for uh, my clients. And so what I sort of learned, and I'm still sort of figuring this out, um, is so versus looking at it as pregnenolone steel or progesterone steel, uh, individual. So that cholesterol, if it's being transported, you know, by star protein into a mitochondria, uh, we basically, it, it would be like, you know, when you look at a chart in a physiology textbook, it's very easy to think very linearly. Mm-hmm. But that cholesterol pool, like a cell that is in, you know, the corpus luteum that's producing progesterone, um, or a Leydig cell in males that's producing testosterone, is located in a different area than, say, the adrenals. And so, while I think pregnenolone steel or progesterone steel or cortisol steel. Does sort of help explain the downstream effects of, hey, it's important to understand that when your cortisol elevates, you're going to have downregulations in progesterone, but it's not necessarily pregnenolone availability. So, the way I've, I've seen it sort of explained is, you know, we have these zones, um, but basically there's no adrenal pool of pregnenolone for one cell to steal away from another. Um, so, basically, what's happening is you know cortisol inhibits star protein which will that's a steroidogenic transfer acute regulatory protein so think of it as like um i've written captions about this on instagram if you want to read about it i kind of call him like jason statham in the transporter so he's kind of like (laughs) got us really important job right he's like dude you're the transporter you got to make sure our androgens get to where they need to be you are super important in the body um but in the case of you know or basically, you know, there's not really a clear mechanism that was, has been described that could basically facilitate the transfer of pregnenolone between mitochondria of different cells. So let's say like mitochondria of cells in the zona reticularis to zona fasciculata, um, we have to remember the adrenal has different regions. And so what's responsible for one type of production, is going to be different than others. And so I definitely used to teach like, okay, here's this pool of pregnenolone. I think it's helpful if you're a beginner and thinking like, Hey, like, uh, basically when stress is elevated, I'm going to end up with, you know, these downstream reactions of less reproductive hormones, really where I see it happening is both at an enzymatic level. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, with thyroid hormone, if cortisol elevates, it's going to inhibit the conversion of T4 to T3. So that's the That's that enzyme there. If we're looking at basically reproductive hormone and what's going on, um, cortisol inhibits star protein. So that's at more of this like downstream level, but Most importantly, cortisol is going... When you have elevated cortisol levels, your brain picks up on that. So remember I said that daily blood work that we're kind of talking about, that our our body is sort of doing the scan Mm -hmm. at all times. um, Basically, the brain is what's going to downregulate that production. So we even see that with excessive exercise. Um, I believe there's even a study I've read. got to find this guy's book. Uh, But basically, I think his name was uh, Robert Sapolsky. He was basically talking about how even endorphins like excessive amounts of exercise can mitigate luteinizing hormone production. So there's an example of where stress or presumably heightened cortisol levels, really what's happening is by acting on the brain, it's going to stop like GNRH. So gonadotropin releasing hormone, um, luteinizing hormone. And then if you're not getting adequate signaling there, you're not going to end up with that like whole hormone downstream. So, you know, I, I definitely came from a similar kind of school of thought as Justin and mm-hmm. being taught, you know, cortisol, steel, pregnenolone, steel, progesterone, steel, And even some of the people that I really respect in the industry that like still sort of popularize that as a more simplified way of understanding. But I think if you're really into uh, the hormone specialization stuff, if you're really wanting to solve kind of what's going on with birth control, if you want to understand um, what during contest prep, what's going on, got to understand that negative feedback loop. And also something like the adrenals that maybe the layman might classify as, okay, it's one, one gland, right? But, you know, if we're really trying to be Specialists, if we're really trying to basically take our education to the next level, I would encourage you guys to understand things like okay, there is, you know, zona fasciculata, zona reticularis. And so, in one area, reticularis, that's where we're looking at uh, DHEA and potentially that DHEA even being converted to androstenedione. dione. If we're in the fasciculata, we're looking at either cortisol or cortico- uh, corticosteroids which obviously that would play a role when we're talking about things like inflammation and just overall stress hormone and stress response. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we go to that other zone, we might be looking at something like aldosterone. And that's why, you know, the adrenals also have a close relationship with overall like fluid, fluid regulation, fluid balance. And you see people with adrenal diseases, you know, Addison's or Cushing's have mm-hmm. issues with, you know, that overall water retention. So Justin, I had to jump in there. I know we yeah, agree on beautiful. like 99% of everything, yeah, but that's I just want to make sure that that they're aware that that's out there. And like I said, guys, like this is something where I've had to admit like, hey, I used to like, when I learned this, this is how I learned it. And it's because in the textbook, someone laid it out in front of me and they were like, cholesterol goes to pregnenolone, pregnenolone goes to progesterone. And it's very easy to look at that diagram and say, cool. Well, of cortisol basically just swipes this cholesterol then I'm not going to have what I need to make pregnenolone. So I can't make progesterone. Um, but really when we think about with birth control, that negative feedback makes sense as well as with stress, that negative feedback makes sense. And what I see in natural males is really, you see that elevation of cortisol showing up in thyroid. And we even have thyroid um, receptors in our Leydig cells for testosterone production. So with that, you know, you're going to see changes in testosterone and then that star protein, Jason Statham, my man, he's (laughs) responsible for bringing that cholesterol in there. So you can make androgens. So you've got to have that cholesterol transport. And so that's where you start to see a lot of issues is, you know, people think about these like reproductive hormones and buckets, but you got to understand there are enzymes, just like you mentioned Like, so one thing I thought was brilliant earlier is you mentioned like T1, T2, T3, T4, right? Mm -hmm. Well, depending on what's going on in an enzymatic level with diadenase, which is influenced by stress, it's influenced by zinc, selenium, exercise, like, you know, even, you know, just our overall like micronutrient status, gut health, liver health, that conversion of T4 to T3 is largely kind of governed by what an enzyme is doing in our body. And that enzyme is going to take its action depending on how we're treating our body, our lifestyle. And so, you know, just to kind of echo, I think I kind of built off what Justin was saying, yep. but I think that's a great place to start. Like if you were looking at a textbook, you would see what Justin is saying, I think with an image in front of you. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really do Justin justice. It's hard to say that it doesn't do Jay justice <laughs> without having the diagram there, because I think his explanation would make a lot more sense. But for you guys listening, I just want you to understand if you are sort of thinking about that steel component, understand it's more of a metaphor um, Mm. for just like overall, when one goes up, one goes down. And even when dieting, we see HPA, you know, hypothalamic adrenal axis goes, uh, basically is upregulated. So those are, that's cortisol. Um, That's kind of how you would describe the cortisol steel is like, basically HPA is upregulated, whereas HPT, so your thyroid typically downregulated because you have compromised conversion of T4 to T3. We see elevations in TSH because your pituitary is working harder. And then on the reproductive hormone side, you know, we're starting to see changes as well during the diet phase, like I mentioned, because of, you know, all those other influences. So I think you can see how, um, you know, just in sort of terminology, it makes sense because Mm -hmm. you're ending up with lower, but if you're really trying to be like, by the book i've been like schooled on this by too many functional med people and now i'm like <laughs> i have like got to pay it forward a little bit no um, i love that i love so that because that is, it's, that's it's a my different renewed, way of
0: viewing things as yeah well. that's
1: sort of my renewed renewed understanding and there are guys out there like and justin we can talk offline after this but there are people still posting about that all the time and running oh, yeah you know mentorship type type classes. And I'm sure like even, you know, some of the supplements you mentioned earlier, you know, we can connect the dots. So I just like want to make sure that that's like out there. And I'm, I'm even working to potentially like bring that to a seminar this year um, so that people have that better understanding. But I think it's a good way for the average person to kind of get that initial grasp on the material. But If you were to look at it as sort of different zones, you can, it makes a little bit more sense.
0: This is why at the beginning of the podcast, I called Sam a hormone expert because like, like that bucket analogy was like, Oh shit. It's like, it clicked the light on like, yeah, dude, that like, that's a really good way of looking at it Uh, or the, the zone analogy rather than the bucket analogy. That's a really good way of, of viewing and being able to further explain just how the entire, I guess, cascade of hormones, hormone from beginning to end works.
1: Um, honestly, like yeah, this, we're just like cells in simple, simple terms, right. Is like yeah. cells in your ball, cells in your balls or, yeah. or your ovaries yeah. are different than cells in your adrenals. Yeah. Right. So like, that's just the basic way. Or, you know, when people are talking about the steel, I want to be like, so you're telling me, like, I know LeBron's good and everything, or, oh, you know, LeBron's going to steal the ball from, um, you know, he's going to, you know, steal the ball against his opponent on a different basketball court. Yeah. It's like, cool. They're in the same complex, but they're not in the same like arena. That right. So sense. I might have, they might be in a tournament and there's three courts nearby. But you know, if I've got, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard and LeBron going one, one, like mm. I, if they're on one court, you know, I can't go and have you know Kevin Durant like try yeah. and steal the ball if he's playing in a different game. So yeah. you got to remember your cells, like even though your body is very interconnected, you do sort of have like different areas and different cells are responsible for doing different things. So, Hopefully, the basketball analogy helps. Otherwise, maybe you guys are just more confused and you're like, I just miss sports. sports." (laughs) Well, hey, they're back. back. They're they're
0: almost back. back. (laughs) They're they're almost back. I got to watch Giannis play basketball today and I'd say it was a thing of beauty. (laughs) There you go. So, no, that that, that was perfect. I think this was the most informative podcast we've done. I know Sam and I could go on for three fucking hours, um, honestly, about this and then take a nap and go back at it again. Um, So, Sam, yeah, this was very informative. I think you guys got. Out of this, exactly what you wanted. If you sat down, you took notes. You listened to this. You have a better understanding of what to, what what goes on, not just with birth control, but really um, internally from endocrinology, physiology, uh, the pharmacology. We covered a lot of items here. This was a really dynamic and adaptable podcast, and I really, really, really appreciate you coming on, Sam. We have to have you out again. I want to talk about some thyroid um, and some gut stuff here as well. So Sam's going to be back on here again, Sam. Where can people find you? Give us your, uh, ads in your website one more time.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. Well, first of all, all of you should be on iron and So Agreed. that's number one, uh, right? So <laughs> I, I have to do that just because, you know, Justin was kind enough to have me on the show. So, please, you know, Justin does a lot of free content for you guys, the podcasts, uh, from what I've listened to. Um, like I know you had Jason Phillips on here as well. Yeah. So trying to bring in good guests for you guys, the solo episodes are solid. So because, He's got so much great free content. You know, things like Iron intellects, Even if you're not on Team Haley, like it's a great way to learn from individuals like Justin and myself. Um, and we try to really bring the value for you guys. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, that's just kind of my way of, you know, basically showing appreciation for Justin and, and him using his forum to have me on. Uh, I'm Sam Miller Science on basically everything. So Instagram is Sam Miller Science. Uh, my podcast is Sam Miller Science on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And then, uh, If you're interested in more of the metabolism and the hormone stuff, I'd say head over to the metabolism blueprint.com. It's mm-hmm. a great starting point. We have an audio book for you. Um, you actually be able to get it on soundcloud. It's on your mobile device. So if you're like hype after this podcast and you're like this weekend, I want to dive into this, mm-hmm. go ahead, check out the audio book because it's going to continue to build on your understanding. It'll really start to build that integration for you. But similar science, IG podcast, Um, and then if you're a coach, um, I do have a free Facebook community for coaches. We're over a thousand people. It's the Nutrition Coaching Collaborative on Facebook. So that's a great way to get some support if you're just kind of looking for that free value, similar to the podcast um, or similar to Instagram, but I mainly hang out on Instagram with Justin, and then Monday nights we're, usually popping over to
0: iron and Absolutely. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you, man. As a friend, I appreciate you as a coach. I appreciate you. Um, and you're definitely someone that people need to look up to in the industry. So we will have you on here again very soon. You guys for episode 61 of the grower Die podcast. Thank you so much. We will see you next time with grant. Actually, Sam and Grant are very good friends. So grants coming on tomorrow and you guys will hear a very high energy podcast. And I cannot wait to talk to you you. you guys. See you next time.